Bibles this morning and turn to Second Timothy chapter two. Series in Second Timothy here, and this morning we're going to be talking about a vessel of honor. A vessel of honor. You know, a vessel could be many different household utensils. Um, it could be a bowl, could be a dish, could be a platter. Uh, some utensils are very valuable. Other utensils might be inexpensive. Uh, there are fine china, and there's Tupperware. Uh, there's beautiful crystal, and there's plastic. Uh, there's handcrafted wood bowls, and there's throw. And uh, so utensils kind of come in all kinds of shapes, styles, formats, qualities, and so forth. But in analyzing the various vessels in prominent places, and other utensils are, well, they're stored under the cupboard because they're not very nice. And the reality is, there's different qualities depending on what the utensil is and what it is used for. Well, notice in our text here, I want to in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, you'll find here that Paul says there are at least four types of vessels that are mentioned here in the text. In verse 20, it says this, now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything or dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, we ask God that you... God, that you would show us from your word those things that we should be, uh, Lord, either taught or be reminded of once again this morning, Lord, and I pray that your will would be accomplished as we come before you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Okay, before we far, somebody's got to take a picture of this. Um, Gene Williams, the fellow that took and did all this, did you get it? You did it. You're just that good. You are just that good. He goes, Pastor, I only have one request. You've got to take a picture the first time you're on the stage. Okay, Gene, I'll send it to you. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Important stuff. So he says that there are vessels, at least four types. There's gold, there's silver, there's wood, and there's clay. Now, we know that as we're thinking about those four types of items, they represent different aspects of quality or value. We know that gold is very valuable. Anybody want to care, for, care to admit that you'd like some gold? I'm just telling you, I would love to go. I talked about Crater of Diamonds State Park. It'd be fun to just go play with it, to dig through the sand, the dirt, see if you can find some diamonds. But I think it'd be kind of cool. Admit that you're, watch Gold Rush. Oh, come on. About four, four of you are admitting it. Watch it. Is it what they're seeing in Australia, these big chunks? I mean, wouldn't that be cool to try that once? Probably never get that lucky, but it'd be fun to be a part of it once just wants to try it out. Because why? Gold is worth something. Gold is valuable. Everybody wants gold. I mean, I've never met a lady who said, you know, I ring I can slide over my finger. I, I just haven't met that person yet. Well, it's not about the ring, Pastor. Oh, yeah, I know, but you want a gold ring with a nice diamond in it. Come on, everyone does. So the reality is we want gold because gold is valuable. It's worth something. And, you know, not only is it worth something, it costs something for someone to purchase it and give it as a gift. It's valuable. Then there's silver. Silver is valuable too, and it's kind of interesting, interesting that you can pay a silver or you can pay a little bit for silver. It depends on what it's used for. Uh, in Israel, the 
there. And there's a lot of silver on the markets. And you can find valuable silver that looks very shiny and, and you know, it has the quality almost like it looks like gold, only it's silver. But then you can also find the cheap stuff. You know, they say it's not supposed to, but it does. You know, but it, it turns out over time and it's not as pretty, but it's still valuable. And then there's wood. Once again, wood can be either valuable or invaluable. I've seen some bowls that were intricately hand-carved and, and polished, and, and they just look absolutely gorgeous. And they've been around for centuries, and, and they're used for, you know, fine, uh, you, know, you know, in the presence of forth and and, then and we've also seen things that it weren't worth anything it's just a throwaway and the reality is there's all kinds of different things that happen in our lives that give value or take away from the value and then there's clay and i'm amazed sometimes if you've ever watched the other discovery channel uh about exploration they'll be down 200 feet in a cave somewhere and there's this, this little hole in this area. I mean, you go crawling through these tunnels, back down, and they come to this little spot. And there's a little area. This is a family of six lived here, 200 feet below the ground. And there's a little, how they know the family's there? They found a piece of clay there. It was a pot at one time. Was that a valuable thing? Well, to them, it's valuable. So that says something about history. And the archaeology. But then we also know that once that value of it goes down so he gives these different ideas and around the house you're going to find all but how are the vessels used and here's where i want you to get a little bit of a mind's eye glimpse of what he's talking about here he says some of them are used for honor and some of them are used for dishonor there's a difference between them as a place of prominence in on the other one is not. But he goes on and says something more about it. So, so if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful, prepared for every good work. So what does a valuable instrument look like? What does that mean when he says that some are used for honor, some are for dishonor? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Romans chapter 9 just for a moment. Romans chapter 9. And I want to begin reading verse 19. It says, You will say to me, therefore, why then does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, a mere man, to talk back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Or has the potter no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another for dishonor? And what if God wanted to display his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And what if, did, what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory and on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory? On us, the ones he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as it also says in Hosea, and so forth. I'll call not my people my people, as he is unloved, beloved, and so forth. He says, listen, there are things that are created for honor, things that are not created for dishonor. But the reality is, a lump of clay say to the person that's forming, this is what I want. 
I wonder how often we really put ourselves as that lump of clay into the potter's hands to make of us what he really wants us to be. Are we going to allow him to make us something of honor or something of dishonor? The reality is, there is a difference here. Because he talks about this in verse 21, there is a difference. But he says, it is the one that has been purified. It is the one that has been sanctified. It's the one that has been set apart. And here's the interesting thing where the story begins to take shape just a little bit. And the word, the word set apart has three different meanings. It's used three different ways in the Bible. Maybe you've heard this before, but there is a positional sanctification, there is a progressive sanctification, and then there's ultimate sanctification. And we're going to talk about this just for a moment. But the word set apart unto God in three ways. First of all, positional sanctification. Through the death of Christ, believers have been sanctified once and for all. And I'm thankful for that. That we've been set apart. We have the opportunity, the privilege, the, the ability to spend eternity in heaven one day with our Lord and Savior. I'm thankful for that opportunity that we have through sanctification. But if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Just over a few pages to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, it says this. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Did you catch that? It is from him. He's the one that works in us. He's the one that gives us the ability to have this position in him. It is all because of what he has done for us. If you turn over a couple pages to the right, chapter 6 and verse 11, he says this, And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And you know, here's the thing that we have to remember, that in all of this, he says you were what? Past tense. So when Christ comes in and sanctifies us, when he sets us apart, the old life is past, and who we were before Christ shouldn't be who we are in Christ, right? So there's a difference that he does in us, and that is that his positional sanctification, he gives us a home, he gives us an opportunity to spend eternity with him in, all eternity, for all, uh, in heaven for all eternity. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, over there, just almost over to the far right, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, he says this, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. You know, there's a lot of people who think they're going to get to heaven. They're never going to be there. They have an idea that, well, if I'm just a good person, if I just do enough kind, have enough kindness for those around me, if I help the poor and I, I help the needy and I'm just kind, just be good enough. No, you can't. It's only because of what Jesus Christ has done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that what? Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then it goes on to say, verse 10, we are his workmanship, created unto good Jesus. Why? Because he sanctified us. He's given us a new position within himself that we are to live for him and by him. So there is a positional sanctification. Then there is a progressive sanctification. And that is, as we grow in Christ, we are progressively conformed to his image. And you know, that can be a quick process or it can be a very slow, painful process, right? The more we submit our will to his, the more we become like him. The more we desire to know him through his word, the more we become like him. And sometimes that goes quickly, sometimes that goes slowly. Sometimes that goes with great blessing, sometimes it's with great hardship, right? Because some of us are a little bit hard-headed than the other. And sometimes it takes a little bit to get through what God's trying to do in us, right? But the reality is, 
There is a progressive sanctification where God is working in us to make us more like Him. And we can either go along with the process or we can go kicking and screaming. But that's what He desires for us. He wants us to be like Him. And we see verses like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you would turn over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 18. It says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So as we look into the mirror of who Jesus Christ is, we should want to be like Him. We've talked about this in the past, over and over. We've said things like this. Paul the Apostle said this way, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, right? So when Paul says, when, I, when I'm out in public, when I'm out in the streets, when I'm at the, the marketplace, when I'm wherever it is that I'm going, wherever it is that I am, I don't want people to see me. I want people to see Christ. I'm crucified with him. I, I, I'm dead, but yet I'm alive in him. I want people to see him. John the Baptist said it this way, I'm not that light. I was sent to bear witness of that light. He says, I'm not Jesus, but I want to be a reflection of him. That's that sanctification where he is molding us and making us into the image of Christ, and that only is accomplished through our surrender to who he is and what he's trying to do in our lives. And I don't know about you, but that's hard sometimes. I know that I'm selfish. I know that I want my way. I know that I'm impatient. I realized that yesterday and I feel bad about it. It's like I'm with someone and I'm like, man, I hate this that I act this way. It's my flesh and I, just, I don't want to justify it. I don't want to excuse it. Rationalize it because people are dumb sometimes. Uh, I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for how I live. I can't control the circumstances, but I have to control how I respond to them, right? That's not always easy in our flesh. It only comes that we can become like Christ. It only happens as we submit our will to Him, as we rest in Him, as we let Him work in and through us, as we let the Holy Spirit not only fill us, but control us. That's not always easy. Does anyone else struggle with that? Is anybody else selfish? Maybe you're not. I know me. And no amens from... I I want what I want when I want it, as often as I want it, for long as I want it. That's, that's our nature. It's our flesh. Serve me. It's all about me. We have to fight that in order for God to sanctify us. We have to surrender our will to his. If you go over just a couple pages to the right, chapter 7, verse 1, he says this. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So that means that every day that there is a choice that we have to make, that we are going to willfully and, and, and by choice remove those things that cause us to, 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 to be sinful and wicked in our nature and our actions. We have to fight that daily. We have to say no to the flesh. We have to say no. I mean, look at this. Since we have these promises, because of who we are in Christ, because of where we know we're going to go, because of all that Christ has done, let us cleanse ourselves. I, I can't expect someone else to cleanse me. I can't expect my kids to cleanse me. I can't expect the pastor to cleanse me. I can't, I'm responsible for my actions before God and for God to do a work in through me and for me to respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Just cleanse ourselves. 
from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. So as we say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, we become more holy in the sight of God. That's a progress. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's a daily surrendering of our will to God's, right? Daily we have to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Let's look at one more example of this in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. I'm almost there in my little Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And look at verse 3. It says, For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. So he says there's a difference here between those who know God and those that don't. And if you do, there's some things that you got to do. It says, verse 6, this means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or a sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told you and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. The bottom line is, if, 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 if and when the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of things that are wrong, things that are in our life that should not be in our lives, and we suppress it and we say no to it, God says, you're going to come under judgment for that. Bottom line is, you're not doing that against man. You're doing that against God. It's like saying, God, I know better. God, I want my life the way I want it. God, I'm going to do it my way. But it's rejecting the sanctification that God is doing in and, our, in and through our lives. So we see Jesus will be like him, which is ultimate sanctification. In 1 John chapter 3, if you would turn your Bibles there, 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look at the first couple of verses here. It says, Actually, the end of chapter 2 says, Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Can you see the, 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 the circumstances? We can't expect someone else on a human level to make us more pure. We can't expect anyone else on a human level to change us. You know, there's a lot of people, I've said over the years, you know, we, we had this game growing up. It was called Mercy. Anybody ever remember, remember that game, Mercy? You kind of put your hands up, and you start on, on one, two, three, go, and you start grabbing the hands, and you kind of make the other person, and when they couldn't handle it anymore, mercy, and they'd stop. I remember growing up, I was one of the bigger kids in all the classes. It was hard to believe, but I was always one of the big kids. There wasn't too many people I couldn't whoop, and, whoop tail in when it comes to game of mercy. Uh, I could be almost anybody with mercy. My kids are getting stronger, and they realize I'm getting weaker as I'm getting older. They, they can challenge me. But... I've found out over the years is that even though I'm bigger than a lot of people, I can impose my will over a lot of people because I'm bigger than them. I might even though beat them in a game of mercy. I might be able to wrestling mat because of my size. I, I can control a lot of circumstances. But there's one thing I've never been able to control. Regardless of my size, 
regardless of my strength, regardless of my presence, there's one thing that I cannot do, one thing that I cannot change, and that's someone else's heart. I can't, and neither can you. A person's heart is only changed as they allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through them and as they surrender and commit themselves to God and say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. So over and over, we read throughout these verses that anyone that has this hope, if you have the hope of having claim to know Jesus Christ, you have to make some changes. And one of the biggest changes he says to make is that you have to purify yourself. You have to say no to the areas of sinfulness that distract and, and it causes you to lose focus on what God has for you. We've talked about it many times in the book. They that mind the things of the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. The flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. The idea of setting this is, that, hey, I've got setting it down right there. That's my choice. I can take it or I can set it there. But just imagine this is my will on the things of the on the things of the flesh. And I can only do that with the Holy Spirit's help. I can only do that as God works in and through me. That's a sanctification that takes place in my life. But he says very clearly, anyone that has this hope, they purify themselves. Nobody can make you do it. I can't make you do it. But here's the thing. If you are walking with Jesus Christ, you don't have to want to do it. Now, for this July, it'll be 26 years I've been married to. And I'm telling you, every year, year before, right? It gets. I thought I loved her when I met her 30 years ago. I thought that was love. That wasn't love compared to what it is today. Why? Because our love changes, our love grows, it deepens, it, it becomes more committed over time. But here's what I found out in my relationship there are things that I know that could push your buttons and just. Absolutely hurt her feelings and destroy her. And then there are things I know that please her and make our relationship even stronger. And that's what I want to do. Some days it's not easy because I'm selfish. Maybe you experience that too. But here's what I found out in life. I can't make her change, but I'm responsible for me. You know, I come into marriage counseling over the years. And I got two people coming in. I don't know why they're coming in because they've already made up their minds and they're already irritated with each other, but they're going to do this last-ditch effort. And this person wants to do is all the things that they're not doing. And this person wants to talk all the things that they're not doing. You can't change other people. You can't change other people. But we're all responsible for ourselves. So he says, all that is hope Bottom line is, we must be growing in the process of being separate from all doctrinal and moral evil, set apart for clean vessels for the Lord's use. Utensil. He talks about the vessel. He talks about the instrument. Gold, silver, wood, clay. Instrument. For the human body, for the human heart who belongs to Jesus Christ. And part of it is, you're gonna, you know, in the context of what he's talking about, if you go back to the that is false. There's teaching out there that has taken you better stand up for what you know is right. And by doing so, you can be a vessel that is used for God's glory 
Or you can be a vessel that's used for selfishness and sinfulness. So we see the and in order. I love it. We've had a lot of discussion about this since that week's message. To be approved unto God really gives three pictures. It's a picture of gold that's been purified. In other words, in order for the gold to have the most value, the impurities have to be removed, right? And the only way for the impurities to be removed is that heat must be applied. And so in the context of 2 Timothy 2.15, to be approved unto God, I've had some heat applied. I don't like heat. None of us does. We wouldn't. But it's the heat of the pressure and the trial and the difficulty that we're going through that refines us and makes us more valuable. It's a picture of a Talk about Greater Diamond State Park. It's been moved for... For decades now, still finding diamonds. diamonds when they're found in the dirt. The diamonds only gain value as they're chiseled and polished, right? So it has to be through the through the chiseling that God does in our lives that we become approved. And then there's the idea of not only just having heat, being chiseled, and I can't remember the third one. So the idea is, though, that we have to be, in order to be useful for God, is that we just put in our lives what he's going to do. If we fight it, oh, well, we're going to see. You're not going to be as valuable as you could be. And we'll talk about that, and I'll give you an illustration in a moment. So what does it look like? It's one that's purified. It's one that's set apart. For the mess. One author illustrated it this way. When you go to the restaurant, do you demand a clean fork or a fork? That's exactly what I thought. But you know, if you're just worried about getting food from your or no. So but how many of you want to use it? You see, the one that is useful for the master is the one a clean one is preferred by all of us. Um, so we must be growing in the process of being separate from all doctrinal and moral evil, set up as clean vessels for And number is one that is prepared for every good work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, it says this, And God is able to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in to excel in this is ours. It really is. God wants to use it over and over, time and time again. I give 20 scriptures that say God wants to use us. Ephesians 2.10, I mentioned earlier this morning. For we are 
workmanship created unto what? He wants to use us. Second Chronicles, the eyes of God, the whole earth. In him whose heart is perfect towards him, or mature. It says, you don't even have to have a talent. You don't have to have an ability. You don't have to have a You have to be able to anything. A mature heart, you'll let me work through you. Good at any. I have to be a great speaker. I don't have to be a great singer. I don't have to be able to, have to, be able to become just God submitted to you. I'm I don't have to do it. In fact, if I were, right? Skills and abilities. What I have to have is a heart. And we're just like the Apostle Paul where he says, I'm crucified, but you're not going to see me. You're going to see him. In that situation, you're not going to see John the Baptist. You're going to see him. It's not about me. It's about God working in and through us and people around us, and not ourselves. Right? That's what it's all about. Question Second Timothy, once again, as we come back to our text, in verse 20, himself. You see, the choice is yours. So if anyone purifies himself, he's saying the responsibility is on you to say, God, God I want to be a pure vessel for you. God, I want you to do in and through me. And he leaves it for you. Notice that? I mean, there's times that we have to get hit over the head. There's times that God is chiseling away. There's times there's heat applied. But the reality because he's trying to mold us and make us into an image of his son. But the reality... Verse 21. So if anyone purifies himself, and we saw that in three different passages, cleansing ourselves. So where does it start? I think it's just very simple. We don't have to make it more complicated than it is. First John 1. We confess our sins. He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse. But the. No. See, one. Receive God's forgiveness and cleansing is on us to say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm wrong. God, I'm so sinful. And God says, when we. They just say it's not forgetting something. So many people say, oh, get caught, and I'm, I'm sorry. You see, true repentance says, I'm going this way. I've been confronted that what and I'm going back and start going this way. That's why he uses the past tense, were. Such were. Some of you were past tense before Christ came in our lives. 
But who are we now? If anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. The choice is yours. We used to sing this song about the, I don't remember all the words, but it says, he will not compel us to go. Oh no, he will not compel us to go. He will not compel us to go against his will. He just makes us willing. There are times God says, I have to do a work in your life to make, give you, bring you to the place of surrender. But the reality is, if we know him, if we claim to be a Christ follower, if we claim that that has always our goal is so close to the world that we can mimic them and still be a Christian. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We can't escape that. We have friends, we have family, we have relatives, we have neighbors, we have co-workers that we want to exemplify Christ for. We shouldn't want to be out of the world as far as those things. We know where we're going one day, we're going to spend eternity in heaven, but while we're here, we want to be an image of Christ, right? So whatever... himself. He cleanses himself. Now let me just say uh, every year people do this annual tradition called New Year, New Year Resolution. It's been a century old tradition that falls apart week, two weeks, three weeks do it if it gets that long. Willpower will never get you through it. Can't do it. But my Bible tells me that through Christ I can do all things. That is in you, then he that is in the world. You have what it takes to overcome if that's your desire to overcome. But if you don't want to overcome, guess what? You won't. If you're an not be an alcoholic, you have to want to not drink anymore. I can't say, well, I'm an alcoholic and I'm an alcoholic, but I'm going to keep buying. A change. Well, I want to lose 30 pounds. Well, okay, you got to this, this, and this. Change always starts with an understanding that you need to do it. And it doesn't matter whether it changes to overcome a bad habit. Want to do it. And then once you just do it, you have to put yourself under the authority. I can't, you can't not. You want to be something different with God's help. Amen? It takes all of us to say, I want God to do this in and through me. Because I can't do it of myself. But it starts with my desire to say, God, you got me. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've said, God, I want you to do this. And old habits, desires that are not healthy slip back in. 
I just find that I've made decisions in my past that all of a sudden months or a year later, it's like, man, I already made that decision once and I, I went back on it. I said I was never going to do that again and here I'm it again. I said I was going to start doing this and I did it for a little while, but then I let it go. Anybody else ever experienced that? All that just to say there are times that we need to renew our commitment. There are times that we need to resurrender and say, God, I'm yours. I know I did it a year ago, but Lord, I'm not talking about getting saved all over again. I'm just saying, God, I, I just realized I've, I, I'm, I'm getting out of focus and I've got some wrong priorities. And God, I need to just commit my life afresh and anew again. Maybe that's what God is telling us this morning. To be a vessel of honor. A vessel that is fit for the master's use. Yeah, a dirty fork will get the food to your mouth, but do you want to use it? Why do we expect that we have sin in our life and God still wants to use us? I'm thankful for his grace and his mercy. But he says, I really would appreciate it if you would deal with these areas. That's a challenge. I need that challenge. I need that reminder. Maybe you do as well. But whatever it is that God is bringing to your attention, whatever it is memory that he's things that need to change, Will you surrender? Will you commit? Let's pray.